0: In this week's episode, we talk about the lonely man of faith. Bringing hope and healing. It's your source for personal growth, mental health, and interesting ideas. Thoughtful Mind with Spi. Here's your host, Svee Hilsenrath. And welcome back to Thoughtful Mind with Svi. I'm your host, Spi Hilsenrath. I can't believe we're up to episode 20 already. It's amazing to me that there's 20 episodes of this podcast out there. And I so want to thank all of you, everyone listening, because really that's what keeps me going, is everyone listening to this podcast right now. This week, I want to thank all the people that are listening in Jacksonville, Florida. That's this week's Gratitude City. Thank you to everyone listening in Jacksonville, Florida. Today's topic is something that I've wanted to talk about since season one, but I never really felt ready to talk about it. Until recently, recently I've been speaking with a number of clients and the ideas that we're going to talk about today came up and my clients found it very helpful to discuss these things. Uh, If you listen, it might seem like a theoretical podcast, but this is actually a very practical podcast. This is something that applies to everyone over the course of their life and thinking about these ideas now will prepare everyone for the future. This week we're going to be talking about the ideas that were presented by Rabbi Joseph B. in his article, and later reprinted as a book, The Lonely Man of Faith, which was published in 1965. Uh, the essay itself is very beautifully written, with at times very difficult vocabulary. And the essay itself is deep in a manner that's hard to convey, and I, I truly believe that it's worth the time and effort put into reading the original. It's written in a deeply personal style, And he even speaks about how this is not a lecture and not really even an essay, but it's just one man faced with his own mortality, thinking aloud. Rabbi Selvechik noticed a dual nature found in all people and specifically within himself. And in order to explore that, he examined two accounts of the creation of humans as found in the Torah in the Bible. I'm going to take a moment to read both those accounts and the contradictions that Rabbi Salvechik found within them. In the first chapter of Bratius and Genesis, the verse says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. They shall rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, the whole earth, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created a man in his image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, the bird of the sky, and every living thing that moves on the earth. That's in the first chapter. A different account of the same events is given in the second chapter of Beratius, of Genesis. And here the verse uses a form of God's name that is in Judaism pronounced Hashem. And the verse says, And Hashem God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he blew into his nostrils the soul of life, and man became a living being. And later on, Hashem God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to guard it. And then a little bit later, Hashem God said, It is not good that man be alone. I will make her a helper corresponding to him. And Rabbi Selvechik noticed a number of discrepancies between these two accounts. In the first account, in chapter 1, the verse speaks about how man was created in the image of God, in Hebrew with salam al And there's no reference to what man himself is made out of. In the second account, the verse talks about the dust that man was formed out of and how God had to breathe life into that dust, into that earth to create man. In the first account, Adam's given this responsibility to go out and fill the earth and subdue it. And in the second, Adam's given the job of staying in the garden and cultivating it. And the third contradiction is that in the first account, Adam and Eve, man and woman, are created together simultaneously. Whereas in the second account, first Adam is created, and then later on is given a companion. And Rabbi Soloveitchik explains these two accounts and the contradictions between them as being descriptions of two equal and conflicting aspects of man. And I'm going to describe each of them separately, but it's important to realize that even though we're talking about Adam 1 and Adam 2 as if they were separate people, they're not. They're just two different parts of one person. And even though we're using the word Adam and the word Eve, we're really talking about all people when we speak about these two separate things. Every man, every woman has both these aspects within them. And so the first account in chapter 1 is the creation of what Rabbi Soloveitchik calls Adam-1. Adam-1 is created in the image of God. In this case, as Rabbi Soloveitchik says, man's inner charismatic endowment as a creative being. Adam-1 is focused on creating and building. The question he asks is how? How do I do this? On overcoming and mastering the natural world. Adam-1 is focused on furthering his own position in the world. Not only within nature, but within All of mankind. Adam One is all about the logical progression of technology. Adam One is focused on now and this finite moment in time and space. He lives fully in the present and fully to address the present's concerns. He only looks at the past in order to gain knowledge from the past and more importantly to evaluate the success he's had in his endeavors. And he looks to the future only to know what needs to be accomplished now. So Adam-1 is really a creature of the moment. The past only tells him how far he's come. In other words, I was there, now I'm here, therefore I'm successful because without that rubric, without that, that conflation of between then and now, I won't know if I've been successful. So I only look at the past to know if I've been successful. And I only look at the future to know what success in the future looks like. But those two things are secondary to the present, to now. Everything is about what can I accomplish in this moment. Adam-1 is constantly driven toward mastery and glory, both mastery over nature and over other people, glory in building. And when Adam-1 attains his goals of mastery and glory, he becomes what Rabbi Soloveitch refers to as dignified. As he says, in other words, man is a dignified being and to be humans to live with dignity. Adam-1 is not concerned with things like good or evil. It's not about the right or the wrong. It's about mastery and dignity. Rabbi Salvatric says his conscience is energized not by the idea of the good, but the idea of the beautiful, of mastery and creation. And when thinking about Adam 1, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that this is a God-given mandate in Rabbi Salvatric's eyes, that this is a form of spirituality. And one of the things that people have traditionally found in religion is a way to fulfill their spirituality with Adam-1 by having tasks that they need to do in order to follow what they believe is the will of God. And so, Adam-1 is a very curious person, but only curious within the question of, how do I do this next thing? What needs to be accomplished and how do I do it? What are the problems in the world and what are the solutions to them? Adam-2 is just as curious as Adam-1, but... He's not asking how or what. He's asking why. And ultimately who. Adam too is blessed and cursed with an ontological awareness. An awareness of being and not only of being within himself but of being within the world. He has an identity of himself beyond himself and he reaches out to connect with something larger than himself. In Rabbi Salvatric's view, connecting to God. And when he does so, He does so through redemption, which we'll get to in a minute. As Rabbi Soloveitchik says, To be is not to be equated with to work and to produce goods, as historical materialism wants us to believe. To be is not identical with to think, as the classical tradition of philosophical rationalism throughout the ages, culminating in Descartes and later in Kant tried to convince us. To be does not exhaust itself either in suffering, as Schopenhauer preached, or in enjoying the world of sense in accordance with ethical hedonism. To be is a unique, in-depth experience of which only Adam II is aware, and it is unrelated to any function or performance. To be means to be the only one, singular and different and consequently lonely. For what causes man to be lonely and feel insecure if not the awareness of his uniqueness and exclusiveness? The I is lonely, experiencing ontological incompleteness and casualness, because there is no one who exists like the I, and because the modus existense of the I cannot be repeated, imitated, or experienced by others. Yeah, he's got a deep writing style. So Adam I, because he is unique, starts with loneliness and ends with connection. And we're going to get more into this loneliness in a minute. Rabbi Soloveitchik points out that you don't need to have dignity to have redemption. As he says, an atheist cosmonaut circling the earth advising his superiors who placed him in orbit that he did not encounter any angels, might lay claim to dignity because he courageously mastered space. He is, however, very far from experiencing a redeemed existence. Adam II's redemption doesn't come from gaining mastery over the outside world, over the outside environment, or over other people. Adam II gains redemption through mastery over himself. And Adam II does this by pulling back from the moment pulling back from the accomplishment, pulling back from the drive, going into a reflective state and letting himself open up to and be confronted and ultimately, in a way, defeated by a higher power, by something larger than himself. And it's important to point out that this defeat, it's not the shameful defeat of Adam 1. Adam one, when he fails, when he's defeated by others or by himself or by his limitations or by nature, it's a shameful defeat. He has not attained dignity. Whereas with Adam two, by pulling back and understanding his own limitations by connecting to something larger than himself through that connection, Adam two attains redemption. And that is the point of Adam two. Adam one is about dignity. Adam two is about redemption. Adam 1 exists in the moment, but Adam 2 exists both in the past, reflecting upon it, and in the future, yearning for it, because in the future, he will be connected to God. He will be connected to something larger. But in the present, Adam 2 is always alone in his uniqueness. Now, connection to God can be a tall order, and Adam 2 goes through a series of relationships. First a child to his parents, and then a spouse to each other, and then a parent to child, and then connection to a spiritual community, and then ultimately connection to God. And we're going to get more into this in a minute. One of the big differences between Adam 1 and Adam 2 is the idea of going forward aggressively to conquer, to master, which is Adam 1, or retreating and reflecting, and and in a way being quiet within oneself in order to serve, which is Adam 2. And I want to reiterate that Adam 1 is no less pursuing his spiritual journey than is Adam 2. They're two different parts of the same person. And of course, there's different phases of life that lend themselves better toward Adam 1 and Adam 2. When a person is younger and has more power, more energy, they're more likely to be focusing on the Adam 1 aspect of themselves. And later on in life, when a person has less energy and has more past catching up with them and less future, when the dark future, meaning death, looks a lot closer, people tend to embrace their Adam-2. But it's important to remember that even in that first stage of life, when a person is more Adam-1 focused, Adam-2 is there and vice versa. And there are certain people that naturally go to an Adam-1 type of personality, and some people more naturally go to Adam-2. Some people are less thinking, more doing, and some people are less doing and more thinking. But even in the first case and in the second case, they each have aspects of the other. Everyone has both. Trying to run from one or the other will only result in psychological friction that we've spoken about in the past because we're ultimately running from ourselves. Now, Adam-1 needs others uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, Adam-1 needs others because without others, he can't truly master nature. A single person alone cannot master nature in a way that Adam-1 needs. That Adam-1 needs in order to get to dignity. No one person has the physical and mental capacity to master nature in the world and to arrive at dignity. We need others as part of Adam-1. But Adam-1 has a deeper need for others because... Without other people, Adam-1 cannot display his accomplishments. Without recognition, Adam-1 can't have dignity. Because again, Adam-1 is totally of the present, but only in the context of having moved ahead of the past, having moved beyond the past and toward the future. And in the same way that without the reflection of what was and what is now, Without the recognition of others, Adam-1 cannot have dignity. And that's why Adam-1 was created immediately with Eve. He's never alone. This is not a spiritual connection that Adam-1 and Eve have. The connection that Adam-1 has with other people is not an ontological one, a one of connectingness within being, a spiritual connection. It's a practical connection. You and I will work together to achieve the future in the present. Adam too, is by nature alone. Because with his ontological awareness, with his awareness of his own being, of his own uniqueness, he's reminded of his own singularity, of his own aloneness in the world. And this happens even when Adam 1 is surrounded by others. Rabbi Soloveitchik says, who knows what kind of loneliness is more agonizing? The one on which befalls man when he casts his glance at the mute cosmos, at its dark spaces and monotonous drama or the one that besets man exchanging glances with his fellow man in silence. Because Adam too is so unique, and is not only so unique, but is aware of his own uniqueness, it takes a very deep connection with another person, or with God, to have some kind of relief, some kind of reprieve from this loneliness. And in the text, in the Bible, it's only when Adam too retreats and sacrifices of himself that he's given another to connect with, that he's given Eve. It's through this connection, through this complementation of two people connected together spiritually that Adam 2 is relieved of his eternal loneliness. As I keep hammering home, it's important to remember that both Adam 1 and Adam 2 describe the same person. And because this contradiction exists in all of us, it's never truly resolved because when one is up, the other is down, and vice versa, and and even though, as we said earlier, during certain phases of our lives or certain personalities, we tend toward one or the other, because we really have both, and the one, when they're feeling neglected, when Adam 1 is feeling neglected, or Adam 2 is feeling neglected, that Adam has a way of calling attention to themselves. And so we're constantly going back and forth, this contradiction is never truly resolved, but... I find, having worked with people in discussing this as in a therapeutic process, that just the discussion and the awareness of these ideas, we can find validation, knowing we're not alone within our struggles, and relief because it brings hope for the future and it brings hope for some kind of connection. Recently, I've been working with a few clients that really hammered this home for me. I was working with a, a woman who was in her, her late 90s and looking upon her life and, and talking about how she has accomplished so much, but because she can no longer accomplish, she just feels lost. And I was able to speak to her and, and and talk about this idea of the two different atoms of these two different needs that we have, and she's a religious person, and she said that because she feels so lost in her uh, inability to accomplish more, she feels a uh, disconnected from God her whole life she 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 practiced religion and now she doesn't even know if there's a God, and we spoke about this idea of connection to God and, and what that entails the whole Adam 2 idea. And she was very receptive to it. And and again, I'm not in the role of of a religious person there, even though I happen to be religious. I'm in the role of a therapist, a mental health professional. But I understand that this need of connection to something higher than yourself is is a real need. And in discussing it, she was able to regain that connection. And I have a different client who struggles in a similar way. And because he cannot let go of this Adam-1 idea, cannot reflect, cannot accept that defeat of accepting limitations, he's absolutely miserable because he's still trying to ignore the Adam-2 part of himself. And even today, I met with a woman who faced tremendous personal loss recently within the last two weeks. Tremendous personal loss. And she spoke to me about how Her relationship to God, her relationship to something higher than herself, was shaken by her recent tragedy, her recent loss, these events in her life. But that she understood how, even though, again, she's also in her late 80s, she understood how this is a lifelong quest. That this loneliness is something that can never be fully healed, but it's in the quest, it's in the quest for connection, that we find redemption and we find healing. I do want to speak for a minute about another aspect of this because I I, I want to make this as practical as possible. Um, I want to speak about how the idea of parents and children fit into the two archetypes that we've been speaking about, Adam 1 and Adam 2. So Adam 1, again, needs to create. And the ultimate creation, the ultimate complex machine, the ultimate beautiful object is a child, is another person. And it's also, Adam 1 is all about immortality, because he wants the present to continue forever, for forever to be the present. Through having children, through having future generations, this is a form of immortality. It's the defeat of the finite nature of man. There's another piece to it, which is that Adam-1 needs recognition of others. If there's no future generations, there'll be no one to recognize how great and accomplished Adam-1 was in this generation. And therefore, Adam-1 needs children to create a generation that will recognize how wonderful and amazing this generation is. And more than that, by having a child, Adam-1 is able to take these two needs and fuse them together. These two purposes of creating and having someone recognize that creation. And as a child, Adam 1 needs his parents in order to maximize his potential. He's so dependent, the child is so dependent on the parents, that without the parent, the child can have no kind of dignity. Because without the parent, the child cannot accomplish. Adam 2 also has a need for children. Because Adam 2 is all about the ontological connection, the connection of one being to another, ultimately to the higher being. But also through the connection to another, of losing the loneliness in joining the loneliness together. And Adam 2 might find that ontological connection through the love and caring for and of a child. And on a deeper level, by connecting to the child, Adam 1 is connecting to the entire timeline of humanity to his parents and their parents and their parents before them and then to his children and their children and their children after them. Because through Adam 1's child, not only is he connecting to the past, not only is he providing the past, but he's also providing a future. He's connecting to something much larger than himself. I do want to say again that although this podcast has had a religious tone because we're talking about God and Adam and Eve and the Bible, this is not a religious topic. Even atheists experience Adam 1 and Adam 2. I think we can see it in our own culture, where you see that traditional religion has waned and traditional ideas of service have waned. And people have created beliefs and causes to give themselves over, to give their entire lives to, in order to connect to something greater than themselves. One example that comes to mind is socialism. People have created socialism and I think the true draw of socialism, although I strongly disagree with it, I think it's, it's a very dangerous idea, but the true draw of socialism is not that the state will take care of you, but that you are one of many. You are one of something larger than yourself. And so we see, even if we take religion out of the picture, we still have that need. We still have that craving for connection that Adam 2 is so desperate for. And ignoring that connection need, ignoring the Adam 2 especially when we're younger and we don't feel that pull as much, is dangerous and doesn't prepare us for when the Adam-2 comes later on in life. Because we will search for that connection. And if we find ourselves unable to fulfill that need, it will have a negative impact upon us. I know I've said this already, but I really want to encourage everyone to put the effort into reading the original The Lonely Man of Faith, because it really is very beautifully written. It's, it's, it's really... The writing conveys a sense of richness that I hope came through in this podcast, but it's really worth the time and effort. As always, I want to thank everyone for listening and sharing. Thank you to everyone who's been sharing on social media. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, A couple of people have been sharing on WhatsApp and Facebook, and it it means the world to me. If you want to connect, you can call me at 732-523-0061. Or you can email me at thoughtfulmindpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach us through the website, thoughtfulmindpodcast.com. I'm always looking forward to hearing from you. I hope that you found something practical in this. I hope that you found inspiration in this podcast. I know these ideas are not necessarily simple and and not necessarily so easy to see in our daily life. But this is something I've been thinking about for a number of years and and really see how it, it truly is something we all live. And so until next time, remember: go out believing in yourself.